Bibles. You can open them to Galatians. There were a few printouts. I don't usually print out like four chapters of Scripture, but since I was going to briefly refer to them, I thought maybe I would. And so if you have one of those, that's two. The verses we'll really focus on are Galatians 4, verses 8 to 20, which are on the back of the worship guide here. And um, there is a, there's not a lot of slide advancement on this. It's mostly just coming through. So, Karina, I'll take care of this. Uh, you don't need to worry about that. And um, before we do that, uh, we'll take some time to pray for our nation, uh, to pray for those who hurt, to pray for the advancement of the gospel. Um, let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, uh, Father rather, Holy God, uh, we lift up our eyes to you this morning, and we know that you reign on high, uh, that you ordain all things, and Father, that the earth still like it was in the time of Noah is filled with violence, and it's filled with corruption. Um, yet you have promised not to end it. And indeed, Lord, one thing you've done is to raise up your church within it. Father, help us to walk with integrity as a church. Help us to know that to love you is to live out our lives in truth. To love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to love with compassion is to follow the way of Jesus. Father, I pray for Redemption Hill Church that you would keep us strong in ties of trial. I pray for the saints here, Lord, that you would watch over, Lord, each of them. I think of those who aren't here who are either at home, online, or in nursing homes. Uh, Father, would you be a great comfort to them? Uh, Lord, we ask for your uh, hand of wisdom uh, for our elected officials, for presidents, for governors, for vice president, Lord, for mayors, for council, board members, school board members. Lord, we have many people who represent us in many ways. And, um, Father, we pray that your will would prevail. Lord, you say you turn the heart of a king like water in your hand. And so we do know that, in fact, even when it seems contrary, your will is being done. Lord, give us peace to rest in that spot. And, Jesus, I pray for those who are sick, who are physically hurting, whose finances are low, who are in need of help. Father, I pray for your mercy and provision to flow into their lives for healing for the sick, uh, for help for the needy. And Lord, that you would continue to give us a spirit of uh, intentional care and love. And Lord, would you now preach and minister to our hearts this morning with the gospel of grace. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to try a whiteboard here. I'm going to slide it over a little bit with the hope that it might be picked up on camera. And thank you, Brian, for bringing this over. If you see the whiteboard threatening to fall, say something. <laughs> Don't let it topple your pastor. <laughs> um, I won't write on you either. I'm just going to write on the board. What I want to do is first ask, where are we in Galatians? So we've been going a long time through a short book, and I thought this might help a little bit of a refresher here. So here we are in Galatians. What is a, and so this is where, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip. Just flip to it. Go ahead. Take a walk through. We're, we're at a size where I can ask questions and you can answer them. We might outgrow that dynamic at some point, but I'm a big believer in kind of 
Whatever you can do at the size you are, go ahead and do it. So anyone know why was this letter written? You can give a real short answer. You can expound. Um, anybody? Let's start filling this up. Galatians, what have we covered so far? Why was it written? Is it their birthday? Anniversary? Anybody? Go ahead. Throw it out there. There you go. He defends his apostolic authority, his legitimacy, um, and it's because well, he was shocked, right? Opening begins, verse 6, I'm astonished that you're deserting the gospel. There's a problem in Galatia, and they are um, they're heading toward heresy. That's why the letter's written. Let's never forget that part. And the heresy was really simple. They were saying, well, you know what? We also need to be circumcised to actually be made right with God. That was the, the essence of the heresy. That teaching was gaining ground within the church. And Paul says, no, no, no. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's how you're justified. It's how you're sanctified. It's how you're saved. And so that's the essence of it. Teachers had come in. So how does he begin his argument, right? If you flip through Galatians 1, what do you see that he starts to do? Do you remember if you start picking up at like verse 11? What do you see him referring to? What's he referring to here? He doesn't start expounding lots of scripture. Anyone remember? Anyway, what do you got, Jim? Yeah, yeah, he starts with his own story, right? His own testimony. And Jesus is the main player here. He said, look, I met Jesus on the road. This is the gospel he gave to me. Now, let's face it. If you're having a debate about theology, that's a hard point to beat. <laughs> Jesus told me is about as good as you're going to get theologically. So he starts with the absolute bedrock. Then what does he appeal to? He mentions Jesus, right? He got the gospel from him. Do you remember where he goes from there in chapter 2? He's kind of given his timeline to the Galatians. He then says, I met with the big three. Anyone know who the big three are? The other big apostles in Jerusalem? PJJ? Peter, James, and John, right? He said, I met with Peter, James, and John. They were reported to be pillars of the church. Everybody respected Peter, James, and John because they knew they had not only met Jesus on the road, they'd spent years of their life with him. And he said, they said I was preaching the right thing. And then where does Paul go from there? Do you know? So that's kind of chapter 2. He talks about his story. Chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians. Verse 2, look at it. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Now whose story is he appealing to? He's appealing to their conversion, Right? He's talking to them. So now he shifts gears and he goes to their story. And he says, how did you get the Spirit? Which is an interesting point, right? He doesn't say, what did I tell you? He points to the evidence and work of God in their life. How did you receive the Spirit? He said, did you get the Spirit on the day you were circumcised? Or did you get the Spirit by hearing with faith the gospel? Right? He's like a good lawyer. He only asks the questions he knows the answer to. <laughs> then where does he go from here? Where does he pick up in like chapter 3, verse 10? And we spent a lot of time on this uh, in the last few weeks. Ah, Nerissa. He kind of shifts out of the personal. Anyone see it? what's happening there? What does he appeal to next? How does he make his argument? Yeah, now he goes to Scripture. He talks about Abraham right? Now, follow this flow here. 
he says, we've got Abraham. And what did Abraham receive? Start to the P, ends with an E. The promise, right? Abraham receives the promise. And what is the fruit of the promise? Starts with a B and ends with a G. <laughs> blessing. The blessings of God. That is the essence of the promise given to Abraham. I will, be your, you, I will make you the father of many nations. The Gentiles will be blessed through you. Whoever blesses, is Genesis 12. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse through you. Many nations, the promise. Do you have the blessings of God? And he said that promise was given not just to Abraham, but to Abraham and his seed, which is the Messiah. But then he says the problem is this, guys. You didn't go to Abraham. You went to Moses. What did God give Moses? Did he give him the promise or did he give him the law, right? Good law, godly law. What did the law bring, though? Did it bring the blessing? It bring the curse, right? Bring the curse. So you had Abraham promise blessing on one side, Moses' law curse on the other, and the Jesus comes, Paul says, to do what? To be our curse. So you have the cross kind of in the middle, right? And Jesus takes the curse and he gives us the blessing. And how does that distribution happen? By faith. By faith in Christ Jesus who receives our curse, who dies for us on the tree, we now enter and we become what the Bible calls heirs, right? We become heirs. We join Abraham's children by faith. Now, Paul says this, all that true, why on earth are you going back to Moses? Because that's what circumcision represented. It represented going back to the law. He's saying, why are you doing that? It makes no sense. Righteous by faith, salvation by faith. And so the state of their faith is shaky. And that's why the letter is written, which takes us to today. Apparently, I should have got the spray stuff, too. <laughs> so as we go through this morning, what I want to ask is, how is the state of your faith? Okay? That is the essence of the matter here. Not how did you obey to this week, but how is the state of your faith? What is the state of your trust in Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't followed Paul, hopefully that sums it up. That's what it's about. And that's a beautiful thing. Because he's not asking how good were you this week, right? Let's look at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles? Remember the stoicheia from last week, the ABCs? That's it, that phrase is, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. 
And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes. Sorry, I forgot to do all this. And given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So let's start here. What are some of the emotions that you see coming through in these verses here? How about fear? I'm afraid that you have to go with fear. Sadness? What else do you see? This is very personal, this section of Galatians. What other emotions do you see kind of coming through the page here? Frustration, a little bit of frustration here. Do you see any um, love? Any words that signal maybe some tenderness? I like verse 19, my little children. That's a word you don't use unless there's some tenderness, right? Paul is their spiritual father. So there is love and there's tenderness. He's kind of stopped the debating. He's stopped the arguing. He's stopped the, the, the references to Scripture. He's coming right at them and saying, what happened? Why? Why, why? Why are you going back to enslavement? That's the word of God's question for you this morning, right? Are you going to the, the, the elementary, the ABCs of our world, right, that deny God, that say all that exists is what matters, that say, you know, be your true self, care for others, right? We looked at that ABC, but there's no God in there. There's no Christ. What is the state of your faith this morning? Has the last eight months made it harder for you to believe in Jesus? Have you maybe even seen, whoa, I'm not quite as strong as I thought I was? Or has it strengthened your faith in the time of trial? Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, now you've come to know God. I love how he flips it here, or rather to be known by God, right? And that's it. So I won't say who, but someone in this church blessed me with the thought that it was just this, right? And you've heard this before. God knows everything you try to hide from everybody else, and he loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you. And the proof of that is the cross. Everything you work so desperately to hide, God sees it all. We are known by God, and he doesn't go, ugh, you know, flood him out. He says, I'm sending my son. You got to hear the tender heart of the Lord in here. Paul says, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless principles who slaves? So let me ask you this, right? We've talked a lot about the fact that they've exchanged faith for the law. What I want to do is ask you a question here, and again, we'll take real answers. Think about this one step deeper. If they continue on this path in Galatia, right, 
what happens to their um, evangelism? What do you think? If this becomes their new practice, requiring circumcision, bringing people under the law, what, what happens to their evangelism of the gospel? Because they weren't saying, well, we don't need Jesus anymore. They were saying, well, we definitely also need Moses and circumcision. What does that do to the gospel message itself? What do you think? It's a pretty different message, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine sharing that with someone at work? Right? Well, I have trust in Jesus and you need Christ. And if they're a guy, you need to be circumcised. And your family needs to eat a different diet. And you can't have fellowship with people who don't. Does that sound like good news to you? It, it, you can't add something to Jesus Christ. This destroys evangelism. What about fellowship? So we're going to have pizza here next week. What would it be like if when we gathered for pizza, there were people in the room you couldn't sit at the same table with? Because in your eyes, in your conscience, they were unclean. How would that affect, do you think, the dynamics of our community here? What do you think? And this is a pretty simple question, but go ahead. I want to hear some answers on this one. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? It eliminates it. Why? Why can't we get along? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, you have, and the judgment, you know, inevitably would, would work in both directions, right? Because the second someone judges us, what do we typically do? <laughs> we judge them right back, right? And so you've got... The elimination of fellowship, you've got judgment. Did Jesus come to have communities divided like this? Is this why he died on the cross? No, it says he came to make the two one new man. I love that phrase. I've been thinking about it a lot. It's in Ephesians. There used to be two, the Jew and the non-Jew, and that was according to God's plan. The cross says now there's just one new man, one new person, and they're called a Christian. And the old forums break away, the old ABCs, the Stoicheas, whatever it was. And here's how radical it is. He says, even if you go back to the law which God gave, it's as if you're going back to paganism. That's how, that's how big it is, right? Paul's saying, even though the law is good and godly, if you go back there and you add that and as an essential element to salvation, you're no better than Romans who say, well, go back to Zeus, or the Greeks who say, well, go back to Diana. Paul's saying when it comes to the stoicheia, the elementary principles, whatever it was that you were listening to, A, it bound you as a law, whether it was true law like God's or a pagan law, and B, it cursed you because you couldn't do it. The pagans couldn't keep their own laws, which is why they had, you know, punishments. The Jews couldn't keep their laws. And so Paul's saying the freedom of the gospel, you can't go back there. Now, what about this? What does it do to personal growth? Think about your week if you were to start to make this your practice, right? Think about your life. If, this, if you were like, yeah, you know, this is essential. How does this impact personal spiritual growth if you start to add the law and all of these things to your life? Well, Paul would argue that it utterly stymies it because it takes your eyes off of who? Jesus Christ. And now you're caught up in, well, did I eat the right food? Or did I do this? Or did I... Did I break for Sabbath correctly? Did I observe the feast properly? 
right? You start to get caught up in, did I keep the law okay? Because that's human nature, right? Once I give you a law, if you're a little bit of a legalist, you're going to be all caught up in, did I do it right? And Paul says, the gospel is Jesus. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Your sanctification is a work of God's grace in your life. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have freedom. He kept saying you have freedom. All The freedom is gone, right? If you go back to the law, he says the freedom is gone, the growth is gone, because your eyes inevitably go off of Christ. Verse 12. Is it third up here? He moves off there. Right? He says, so I want you to become as I am, right? I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. How did he become as them? Well, he lived like a Gentile among the Gentiles. He says, I want you to become as I am. I want you to be enraptured by Jesus Christ. I want you to believe the gospel. I want your faith to rest on him and him alone and no other law, no other principle. Now, verse 13 to 16, he reminds them of how they first met. Sometimes, I'm, I'm tipping my hand here, so I may not be able to use it anymore. When I um, counsel couples, let's say they're all angry at each other, and they come in, she did this, he did this, you know, they're furious. Maybe it's been going on a while, maybe it was short. Something I, I try to do is I'll often ask them, well, how did you first meet? Because usually that's a good story. If you end up getting married, usually how you met brings about some positive things. So I'll ask them, how, tell me about how you met, how you, why you married each other. And my, and my scheme here, now you know, right, is just to show them, oh, I used to love this person I'm so angry with. I could still love them again, theoretically, right? It's to bring a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy into the room, and to try to, in some ways, put the, the current angst in its place of a relationship that began with love, which is exactly what Paul does in 13 to 16, right? He says, remember, I, you did me no wrong, right? You did me no wrong. I came because I was sick. So we don't know what his sickness was. Some people don't think it was physical. Most people do. But for, I, I happen to believe it's physical. It's his bodily ailment. Um, he has to stop in Galatia. And God uses that sickness to bring the salvation to the Galatian region, which is just a reminder that God's will encompasses everything. No one wants to be sick, right? No one looks forward to being stuck somewhere and they can't leave and they can't get out. If you were quarantined because of your illness, you probably, well, you may have enjoyed it. The introverts here enjoyed it. Everyone else was frustrated, right? But everything is happening according to the Lord's plan. He says, I preach the gospel to you as sick. Apparently, he needed a lot from them, right? My condition was a trial. But they, he's like, you didn't treat me poorly. You didn't despise me. You treated me like an angel. You treated me like Jesus. Where did all that love go? What's become of your blessedness? You would have given me the shirt off your back. You would have given me the eyes out of your head, right? Look at verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I want to make a point of application here. Are you willing to put relationships on the line for the sake of truth? The Greek here typically is translated, therefore. 
like almost every time that word, it's the word I think hosta is used, it's usually therefore, it's usually not a question, it's usually a statement. There's a sense that maybe they thought that was too strong, so it typically is translated as a question. But if it's translated as it typically would be, it would be therefore, I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. But whether it's the question or the statement, Paul is saying, look, I'm willing to put this relationship with all of you on the line for the sake of the gospel. So who in your life, particularly a believer who may be wandering or weak in the faith, do you need to prioritize the gospel above the friendship? Who are you willing to be thought of as an enemy for the sake of telling them the truth? That's one point of application I'd like you to reflect on today. Are you willing to follow Paul on that road? That's a hard road, isn't it? Because sometimes we know the truth will sting. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, I know. I know you think I'm your enemy right now. But I got to tell you, when we withhold the truth out of fear, all we do is reinforce hypocrisy in people's lives. That doesn't bless them. It doesn't help them. It doesn't lead them to deeper faith in Christ. So think on that question. Is there someone in your life who you kind of know, I need to talk to them, and you're afraid? Pray for the courage and trust in the Lord. Paul absolutely knew this letter had to be written. There was far too much at stake. He, couldn't, he said, if I could have come personally, I would have. But you got to know this. You are enslaving yourselves again. You're losing the blessing that could be yours by believing in Jesus Christ. Now he looks at motivation. What's Paul's motivation? One word, right? Love. These are his babies. My little children. Right? He uses parenting language at the end. I'm in anguish. He's like, I gotta get, we got to give birth all over. There's no epidural in sight. It's going to hurt, but it's worth it. Right? He's like, I'm in anguish and childbirth for you that Christ may be formed in you again. I wonder for some of you, does Christ need to be formed in you again? Has your faith weakened? Are your eyes on Jesus or are they on the distractions of our world? Where is your hope of salvation? Where is your trust? They were, they were going right to the edge of a terrible decision to welcome the sinners of flock. And Paul saw the repercussions ahead of time. He saw it would destroy their witness. It would destroy their fellowship. It would destroy their personal growth. Their eyes would be off Christ. And he says, Christ needs to be formed in you again because where Jesus says you have faith and hope and love and abundance. And those three things, faith, hope, and love, wherever Christ is, they're present. And that's my second point of application for you. What has the last eight months done to your faith? It has been a weird time. It's been a hard time. It's been a divisive time. I haven't talked much about the pandemic, but I thought, you know, the Galatians trial was false teaching. We've been in a shared trial of, called the pandemic. What's that done to your faith? I just wanted to ask the question to you this morning. Has it weakened it? Has it strengthened it? Has it impacted it at all? I think on the level of faith, if some of you had faith that Walmart would always have groceries 
and that the American government would always be the best government in the world and that um, you would stay healthy and live a strong number of years. If those were your faith, but you actually thought all that was somehow tied to your life in Christ, and you start to see those things fall away, well, maybe there won't be things when I want them to be. Maybe our government won't handle this the way I think they should be. Maybe I will get sick and die younger than I thought. If your faith was in those things, and fear is filling your heart, that means your faith is actually not in Christ. It may be in addition to, but the trick is sometimes we get them mixed up. And we think, well, I feel peaceful and okay with life. Well, it's because we have faith in things that are stable. But the moment they become instable, what happened to your peace? Did it go away? If it did, that could be a sign that your faith really wasn't in Christ. It was in Walmart and the government and the country and your personal health. Faith, hope, and love. What about hope? How has the last eight months impacted your sense of hope? You might be thinking, well, could it possibly help? <laughs> right? Is there any way tragedy and pandemic help someone's sense of hope? Well, again, what's your hope in? Is your hope that Christ will return and the kingdom will be given to you? Well, then this shouldn't really have touched your hope at all. Because it certainly hasn't changed that. Or were you hoping for more comfort and sense of security in this world? Well, if so, then you definitely took a hit in the last eight months. If your hope were built on those externals and you're seeing those not play out the way you thought, schooling not play out the way you thought, stuff like that, then your hope took a hit. But it doesn't need to. If your hope is resting on Christ, who's the anchor of our soul, this hasn't touched him, and it never will. You have every reason in the world to have hope. Jamie and I were talking a little bit about faith, hope, and love the other day, and I was like, it's kind of like if someone tells you, hey, at 5 o'clock today, I'm going to pick you up, and um, I don't know where your favorite destination in the world is, but I'm going to fly you to Hawaii. Uh, there's no one sick there, you know. Uh, we're going to stay for three weeks, all expenses paid. Your work doesn't mind if you go. And they say, at 5 o'clock, just be ready. Almost like nothing that happens between now and then would take away your hope, <laughs> right? You're like, wow, we're going to Hawaii. Oh, you know, like there's this thing that's going to happen in the future. You know it's going to happen, and it gives you strength to endure the trials that come. That's a little bit of how it works. You have a reason to always have hope. You do, right? Because you have Christ. And the last piece is love, and then I'm going to end here. Um, has the last eight months made it harder for you to love people, easier? Has it not? You can't really tell. It's been pretty divisive, hasn't it? And that division can kind of creep into our lives and our thought patterns, and we can start to be like the world, reflecting the anger and the judgment and the hate and the creed and screed and all that. Have you been able to stay within the Lord's will, to love the Lord your God? through the power of the Spirit, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to love your neighbor, to love your kids who never seem to leave the house anymore, to love your spouse. I don't know. I'm just opening up the question. Some of you may have grown. Some of you may have weakened. But I will say this. It's linked to faith in Christ. 
He's the resource. It says he is poured out by his spirit. The spirit of love is poured into our hearts. So if you're struggling with love, you need to move back to the cross, back to Jesus. If you find bitterness creeping in, you're angry at the government, you're angry at work, you're angry at the restrictions, you're angry at people who don't follow the restrictions, right? If like wherever your hate and anger might be moving, Jesus says, put your eyes on me. This is temporary. Everyone suffers. You've got an eternal relationship with me. And therefore, you are loved and you are known. And so you have the resources to love other people. Your love is not conditioned on everything else. All right, Weston, I think we should end. What do you think? He's giving me the hallelujah. And uh, so I hope something you take away from here is just look at your state of your faith where you need to go back to Christ, move there in prayer, spend time with your Savior. And if you've never received Christ as your Lord, you're hearing why it's so powerful to have a relationship with God. Because this world's filled with trouble. Trouble's here, trouble might dissipate, trouble's coming back, that's a given, right? Jesus said it, in this world you're going to have trouble. But what did he say after that? You remember? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray.